So we are here with Nirvikar Jain, a career banker, an entrepreneur and angel investor who is an expert in startup valuation. And Nirvikar is based in uh, the Bay Area in San Francisco. Nirvikar, good morning and welcome to Series A, the podcast where we mainly talk about venture capital. How are you doing this morning? Uh, thank you, George. It's a lovely morning. I'm doing great. Uh, just a bit concerned about the COVID situation in the world. I hope it got gets back to normal soon. Yes, as we all hope. So let's get, get started. Why don't you talk to our audience a little bit about your background? And uh, let's keep it short because it's uh, you have many experiences, as I know. And uh, then let's talk about... Uh, your uh, your angel uh, investment uh, and uh, whatever else you would like to talk about. Sure. So as a as my background, my lo- longest period I have spent is as a corporate and investment banker with some of the global banks: City Bank of America, First Abu Dhabi Bank, NAB. Uh, apart from that, I have been an entrepreneur twice over. So I love building businesses, doing startups. And in the same spirit, I have also been an angel investor and I have been on the advisory board of a couple of accelerators, venture builders. Uh, So in a nutshell, I like to describe myself as a banker, uh, entrepreneur, someone who loves building businesses. And did you build the businesses in uh, India or uh, or the uh, San Francisco? Uh, yeah, so I have been a recent uh, uh, entrant to the Bay Area community last two years. I came here on a sabbatical to Stanford Business School as a Sloan Fellow. And prior to that, all my building businesses experience has been in India. I have worked in New Delhi and Mumbai. So yes, all of that business building has happened in India. And uh, as, a, as a fellow in, the, in Stanford, uh, what are your uh, obligations? So it is a mid-career program for people with, uh, it's, it's a master's program uh, with people with 15, 20 years of experience. Uh, you have classmates coming from over 60 countries and, and pretty much all of us uh, explore areas that we want to get more insights on uh, for the next stage of our career. For me, it has been an amazing journey because I'm currently co-authoring an MIT Press book on fintech with two amazingly uh, reputed U.S. academics uh, where we are describing how the financial services are getting disrupted by new age technologies and and business models that the fintechs are using. And uh, I suppose it's uh, hands-on. So you're you're writing about some examples of of fintech uh, startups that you are advising or have uh, been a part of. So yes, it's it's all crazily mixed up, uh, you know. Uh, so yes, uh, I like I have been advising uh, a Middle East uh, fintech on valuation. It was started it started by a bunch of amazing technical co-founders, but they did not know 
how to value their company, what valuation to present to VCs. So it's a company in the payment space. I help them uh, create an entire valuation model so that they could take it to VCs and talk about negotiations and, and raising around. Then I worked with an African FinTech uh, in building a buy now, pay later product uh, right from scratch, pretty much from building the algorithms to strategy and how, how they will execute that. Uh, then currently I'm talking to another very, very interesting uh, FinTech, which is uh, trying to use uh, blockchain to produce a gold stable coin as an alternate to transacting and, and preserving value. So yes, a lot of my work is centered around FinTechs, venture capital and startups. And how is the cryptocurrency landscape in India? You know, so cryptocurrency landscape in India has been uh, kind of going wallet uh, on now and off now. The regulator had banned cryptocurrencies two, three years back. Then the Supreme Court uh, uh, removed that ban and, and has enabled it again. So it's been a stage of experimentation. I think uh, the central bank very rightly is concerned that people, an ordinary man should not be cheated in the process. So, so yes, they hold that high. But in the bargain, they may be clamping down too hard. But yes, they have set up uh, now uh, innovation sandboxes where they want people to experiment. So I'm sure, you know, Indian regulator has really been doing amazing things in the last 20 years. So I'm sure they will find a way out of this. But their priority is to keep make sure people, common man doesn't get cheated uh, by by any any uh, people who want to just, just take them for a ride. Nirvikar, you mentioned that you are advising a blockchain startup. Um, right. Let's uh, take that from the beginning. If you can explain to our audience um, what it is exactly that you, you do as an advisor and uh, from, from the start to, to all the way to VC funding, uh, how do you guide the founders? Yes. So, uh, you know, in, in this particular blockchain startup, my role is more on an operational side, which leverages uh, my entire understanding of banking and payment systems. However, to answer your question, I would talk of another company and I cannot reveal uh, the name, but uh, that is where uh, it's a high-tech uh, startup and I'm, uh, I've been working with the founders uh, on, on raising VC money. So the whole thing really starts, number one, from understanding the business model. What is it that you're doing? What is the space uh, you're disrupting? Or what is your new idea? Uh, and how elegant is it? Is it solving a problem? Uh, I, I really love Scott Cooper of, uh, Cooper of uh, A16Z's uh, uh, you know, uh, statement where he says, anything that solves the headache is, is something that is of value, while vit vitamins are not. So in the same spirit, you have to understand what is uh, the business model. Second, what is the market size? Third, uh, do you really have a proof of concept? I mean, is your product really doing what it says it can do? Then, of course, capability of the team. Do they have the necessary expertise? 
the 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 hardiness to just go on and 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 execute against all odds and finally the momentum so typically those are the things that you look for once you have all these things you understand what stage uh, of of evolution the business is then you pretty much uh, uh, build a financial model a business model again if it's an early stage it's less of a financial model it's more of a crystal ball gazing in a way just to assess the overall market if it's slightly later stage then you would build uh, more concrete business models i've written about this in an article on startup valuation that at an early stage it's more of an art and as it progresses it becomes science you can apply discounting cash flows and and comps and so on so yes it pretty much is between those extremes where one form is very judgmental subjective we almost in art form and on on the other end it's like a discounted cash flow model that pretty much is used to value most of the 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 you know stock market listed companies and how do you get compensated for solving headaches uh uh can you repeat that question yeah as an advisor how do you get compensated for uh, solving headaches of the founders oh yes so you know that depends uh, uh typically uh, it's 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 uh, it's a fee uh plus success fee plus effort fee model uh and and, and typically uh you know i i would charge them a monthly retainer depending upon the effort involved and in the end uh, typically you know i i would typically get a share of 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 uh, the uh, funds raised as a success fee so that's really the model that i've been using how about equity oh yes <laughs> that is uh, so but there you know it has to make sense on both sides number one i have to really find the business uh, worth it and then kind of putting my stake behind it but equally important founder has to be also willing to give equity you know if he is a if if he is a founder who's very positive who's sure about being successful then he may not be willing to give equity you know the giving equity is the most expensive form for a successful company but you're right uh, that that is also something uh, you know i i would love to in in a company where i feel it's 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 bound for huge success i would much rather prefer equity over cash How often do you meet with the founders that you advise? Oh, a lot. You know, when I'm understanding the business in the early stages, it is all about meeting the founders and of course these days meeting means meeting over Zoom uh, rather than in person, but yes, a, a very very concentrated effort goes into understanding his insights because he knows his business as good as i mean more better than anyone else so you have to be able to step into his shoes so like i was suggesting that with this high tech founder that i mentioned i spent two and a half months just understanding what the product is it was really so deep in technology and this founder has so many patents that i it took me a month month and half to really get into the details and i must have spent 30 40 hours sitting with him and understanding everything this was an extreme case but typically uh, early part of the engagement really there's a lot of time spent with the founder 
understanding product, technology, vision, so on. Um, talk to us about the process of fundraising for the founders. Uh, I'm, I understand that you help them uh, connect with venture capitalists. Is that correct? You know, that is also correct, but I would say a lot of work really goes on with before you connect with the venture capitalists. You know, you only get one shot at sending your presentation and the famous elevator, as the famous elevator pitch goes, so you only get one shot. So I, I, would, I always advise founders to do all the heavy lifting upfront. You know, you have to really go with a very, very focused, refined uh, pitch deck, uh, which, which tells your story in, in, in 30 minutes, if, if it comes to that. And even before that, when you're reaching out to a VC, your elevator email or elevator pitch email, that is very important. If, he, if someone reads your first email and that does not impact him, it doesn't interest him, you know, you've just lost the battle right at the, at the entrance door. So yes, I, I, I would say a lot of that is really preparing your pitch deck, your business models, your, your, your vision, and even your outreach emails. Uh, getting to VCs is actually not that difficult, but even if I'm sending it to some of my best friends, the point is we are friends, but everyone has a business to do and it has to make sense. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about startup valuation. Uh, a startup that has zero revenues is right. going to raise funds. How do you, how do you evaluate something like, like that? Right. You know, so that's something that I come across very often. Uh, I was just talking to a founder yesterday and he was saying, oh, this market is worth billions of dollars. And, you know, if we get 3% share, we will have a revenue of so many hundred million. So our startup is already worth $3 billion or $5 billion. Now, that's a fallacy which many founders get into that start from top down. But at the very early stage, when you're in an idea stage, you have nothing else. It is all about just getting the product off the ground. You know, building an MVP, doing a proof of concept, doing validation, so there you cannot start by taking a top-down approach. There you start pretty much by a bottoms approach, up approach. Uh, and what you would do is you would really raise as much money as it takes for you to build the most rudimentary MVP, which you can take and validate your, your, your uh, idea on. Now, at this stage, you know, it's typically 200 thousand dollars five hundred thousand dollars so maybe if it's a, it's a if it's a really huge uh, task maybe a couple of million dollars for a very technical project so so these numbers derive from the effort or the money that you have to spend into building that mvp not necessarily from what is the overall size of the market because you're just starting to walk crawl walk you know before you start running so so it's pretty much about how much it should take to build that MVP. And of course, your dilution could range based on what its potential is, but it, it, you'll not value it with billions of dollars. I mean, that's not the right approach uh, at, at the very, very early stage. You have experience with uh, accelerators. How right. 
how early can you spot uh, a business that is going to become a unicorn or if not a unicorn, a very successful uh, startup? You know, so it's really after you have an MVP and you take it to the customers. So when you see that the product uh, or service has found a product market fit and if it is quick accelerating, you know, if it's like something that's actually solving a headache, then it just starts getting viral and, you know, you start uh, getting customers very, very quickly. So I think that is a very good sign that after your MVP, once you found your product market fit, if you're getting virality and customers are just coming to you, that just tells you that, you you know, th this product is really, or service is solving really a problem that people are happy to get it solved and happy to pay for. So, so pretty much it's post-market, post-product market fit uh, outreach when, when that you can actually start telling that this is going to be a really successful product or service. Mm -hmm. And the, the accelerators you work with are in the United States or in India? So I have uh, been on uh, as a fintech mentor on Plug and Play, which is a Silicon Valley-based accelerator. I have also been uh, a mentor, advisor, and a judge on Singapore-based Startup O. Uh, and I also briefly ran India Indian School of Business, which is India's top business school. Their accelerator called D Labs, uh, which is which is again a premier accelerator in India. So yes, I have association with multiple geographies. And uh, do you believe in decentralized finance? Oh yes, totally. Uh, you know, the whole world of finance has got, previously banks used to have monopoly on the entire value chain. Now what has happened in the last 10 years is that all that has got uh, fragmented, all that consolidation. So there are people who are solving for each part of the problem in a very, very fine manner. With the advent of cloud computing and ABI, APIs, you can stitch these various solutions in a seamless manner. Uh, and, and what a decentralized finance does is, is really a stack of various offerings from various service providers. And it's just available to a customer seamlessly at, at the front end. So yes, I think decentralized finance is, is really the way to go. In fact, that is something uh, that I talk about in my article, uh, which is available on Medium and as well as on the book, that I, I, I seriously see the bank to be a multi-layered cake uh, in, in going ahead in future, which is really all about decentralized finance, where you, you bundle offerings from multiple players, but yet, the end customer sees a single seamless uh, experience in, in, in using financial services. And do you think we are going to see decentralization um, in other areas such as social media, for example? Uh, see, that in general is in, in most industries. Uh, in the past, the problem was integration happened because you needed to integrate different parts because uh, you know it was very difficult to get multiple providers to connect and 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 fulfill. 
So in general, as a rule, with, with, with the way that technology is evolving, I think that's a rule across industries that they will get unbundled first, and then they will get bundled through a decentralized offering. So I think that's pretty much a trend, you know, we are seeing across industries. Mm-hmm. So social media should be no, no, no longer an exception. Talk to us a little bit about your book that you are writing. Uh, sure, uh, that is something that really gets me excited. Uh, yes, so the book is called The Economics of Fintech. It is, I'm co-authoring this book with Frank Fabuzzi, uh, who's a professor at uh, NYU and Columbia, uh, Michael Immerman, who's a professor at Peter Drucker School in Claremont, Uh, and the book is really a compendium on what is happening in the disruption of financial services. So we have chapters on verticals, which we define as the various segments of financial services. So let's say insurance, wealth management, lending, payments, and so on. So these are all the verticals. Then we have horizontals, which are technologies, so like blockchain, cloud computing, quantum computing, uh, so on. Uh, and then there are parts on venture capital, uh, valuation, uh, how do you raise money? So pretty much it's a compendium of all that is happening. And then of course, there are these wonderful case studies. We are, uh, for after every chapter, we are picking up a live company uh, with respect to that segment and, and giving case studies. So, so this is, We, we hope this to become a standard reference book for all that is happening in fintech. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your opinion on uh, cryptocurrencies? Recently, Ethereum surpassed valuation of uh, the bank Goldman Sachs, if I'm correct. Uh, where do you see this going? Is Bitcoin going to reach the valuation of gold and surpass it or no? <laughs> so that's a tricky question. But you know, uh, you have to understand that I have been a banker for 20 years. So my my loyalties, my thought process would be much more uh, tuned uh, to uh, to, uh, regul- to regulation, compliance. Uh, that's where uh, you know uh, I, I, I go first. So I, I feel it is a great concept in an idle world. If 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 uh, the money was to exist, so that's a great paradigm. But the minute I I think of uh, all the sovereignty uh, enforced by various governments on their currency, uh, anti-terrorism, money laundering, and all those issues, that's what scares me. And so money, by definition, the modern money is called fiat money, which means it exists by the fiat. Now, by the fiat of whom? So it has to exist by the fiat or order of the government. Now, the problem with a cryptocurrency is that it exists in a decentralized mode. So in effect, by the order of no one. So who exercises controls? Who ensures regulation? Uh, who ensures that you know drug money is not laundered or human trafficking money is not laundered or crime money is not laundered? So those are my arguments or questions against a, a pure decentralized cryptocurrency. However, the solution to my mind really is in, in the balance, so which is the central bank digital currencies that which give you the benefits 
as much as possible of a set of a decentralized currency, plus also solve for all the other issues that I raised. So I think central bank digital currencies in some shape or form are here to stay. Uh, BIS has also been called for papers and, and uh, on, on, on basically creating a global uh, paradigm for payments and currency. So I think that's it, it's going to be a mix of CBDCs of some of the largest or, or core currencies that are used in trade around the world eventually. Mm -hmm. Very nice. So in terms of your day-to-day, uh, -day, would you say that uh, advising the high-tech startup that you cannot say anything about, would that be the most exciting thing you are doing or the book, the teaching or something else? <laughs> you know, so, so, so I, I think everything is exciting in its own way. So yes, the high-tech uh, startup is very exciting. Book is something which keeps me in touch uh, with what is happening then there's an assignment with a blockchain company that, that I said that's trying to launch a gold, gold-backed uh, stable coin, and there are a few uh, other engagements which are more short-term, uh, which are pretty much around startups fundraising. Uh, so yes, you know it's a bag, but yes, I, I would say the high-tech fundraise is very smart because they're really doing something that can change uh, the way uh, you know the whole technology landscape. Uh, uh, the way internet is used, the the the, the way internet is, uh, you know, speed of internet, and and the book. So I would say, yeah, but the book and the high tech startup, those are really the most exciting things that I'm doing right now. And this high tech startup was uh, was it affected from the pandemic? Uh no. So it is it is a recent startup. In fact, it it got it got born during the pandemic. So. So yes, it hasn't got affected with that, and it's 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 still in a in a in a in a in a build the product mode. So so yeah, we are far far away from getting out to the market with that product. Are you close to fundraising for this startup? Well, the, that startup has already done a significant amount of fundraising. They're close to uh, signing up uh, Series A. And we're already working on Series B. We are, are starting to work on Series B as soon as uh, Series A is closed. And what are the numbers of Series A and Series B over there? Ah, uh, you know, I would not like to answer the specific question because. Uh, uh, but I'm in, I in can, general, not not yeah, for yeah. This, in, uh, in general, general. You know, uh, Series A could be anywhere. You know, five million to. 15 million, 20 million. Again, there are no hard and fast rules about this, but it it could be, and it could be higher based on, as I said, you know, if if you get viral success in in your uh, pre-seed A, A, your angel round and your seed round, then you may want to raise a very big series A because you know you don't going to need money to scale it up. But typically, five, 10, 15 million dollars would could be a typical. Series A, and then uh, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50 million dollar could be Series B. But again, as I said, it depends on on the business, how virally it's scaling up, and uh, you know, how, how how does the management, founders, and investors want to go all out, or they want to take a slow approach to build it. Um, as we reach the end of our conversation, any final words 
about the venture capital uh, landscape in general or anything else you would like to share with us? No, so there is so much of liquidity available these days and, and floating around. Uh, uh, it is nice that we live in an age with so much of risk capital. Uh, uh, it, it just helps uh, finance innovation ideas. And, and, you know, I'm so glad we're living in an age. Sometimes I feel I should have been born 25 years later uh, when, and when there is so much of money available to chase innovation. And we have seen how, how crazy ideas have changed the world. Uh, purely because of this availability of risk capital. So I just think it's, 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 it's very good for, for in general, innovation and ideation and, and, and you know, building new technology, that there is so much capital available. Nirvikar, it was a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for uh, sharing all your insights. And uh, we will be sure waiting to, to see when uh, your book is going to be published. Sure. Thank you, George. It's been a pleasure speaking with you this morning.